We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. Going live a little earlier than we used to. What's up, guys? Uh, this is PT Pinecast, a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out, missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. Hey, before we get started, I do want to say thank you to our friends at CBDRX4U. A lot of people are are finding out about CBD and they're taking it. As a, as a PT, you're not going to be prescribing this. This is not something that you're going to be prescribing. But if your patients are taking this, you kind of you want to know how it's going to affect their treatment. So CBDRX4U uh, put together some resources that are great for clinicians. Uh, people using this for like reducing stress, uh, wellness, pain relief. So if you're going to have to have a conversation about it with some of your patients. You want to know more. So uh, check out their website, uh, cbdrx4u.com. It's uh, my your CBD store. They got like 500 locations around the country. They, they're an expert. Uh, some physicians are in charge of it. So you're looking at research. So if you want to be a little more uh, uh, educated as to what's going on in terms of the conversation in CBD, check out their website. Got a great f- uh, show for you today. We're talking about uh, pain, chronic pain, and how that comes into, uh, into play in your practice. We've got a great guest, international. I don't want to brag, but we're talking to someone from way like somewhere outside the US. Let's do this. Uh, excited to uh, bring in today's guest uh, on the podcast. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher Radio, wherever you uh, listen to your audio. Make sure you sub- hit that subscribe button. And people could get, get confused. Subscribe doesn't mean you pay anything just with the podcast. It's a free subscription. But uh, also the socials at PT Pinecast, Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, we're talking today with a physiotherapist, consultant, educator, and lecturer who is passionate about treating the complex pain patient and providing a person-centered approach to musculoskeletal care. I like when they say it across the pond. They say musculoskeletal. I, I don't know why, but when they say it with a cool accent, uh, it makes me uh, it makes me smile just a little bit. Let's bring in the studio right now someone I cross paths with on the Twitter. Laura Rathbone is on the show. Laura, welcome to the program. Hi, welcome. I mean, hello. Yeah, I was just thinking then about uh, who's welcoming who. Yeah, I'm just nervous. I was thinking well, then about mus- musculoskeletal. I don't know whether it sounds that fancy when I say it. <laughs> Say it again. I'm home. Let me, let me reduce the background noise. Just say it one more time. Musculoskeletal. It sounds way more serious. Like when we say physical therapist, like, that's cool. And you guys say physio. And I'm like, well, that's instantly cooler. Uh, mm-hmm. Laura, welcome to the show. First question is always the hardest. We get the hard questions out of the way first. What are we drinking? I, I am definitely drinking a gin and tonic. I'm drinking a Tanqueray gin with, I think, just Royal Clubhouse tonic. So a sort okay. of standard brand of tonic with cucumber. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you had you had sliced your own limes, but you're going really, really healthy and you're going cucumber. Oh, we're um, fancy. We're going yeah, fancy. We are. <laughs> we're talking about our, our sponsors from CBDRX for you, but we're going to be giving away some of these pint glasses and these, uh, I made myself a vodka soda. I don't want to brag. Oh. Little soda streams. Have you heard, seen those things before? You put water, uh, you put, um, you know, a little syrup in there and then you make your own club soda. So I'm, I'm kind of uh. fancy. And I'm making a club soda right now. Well, cheers to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Cheers. So, uh, mm. soda streams. I remember those from like 
what the late 90s early 2000s they yeah. were always this sort of like american gadget that that we didn't have that i wasn't allowed to have <laughs> I, I just got one of them so now i feel like i'm i'm, I'm inside the club so um, what's the point of being a grown-up if you can't have something that you know cool like that <laughs> uh so laura in your intro we uh we mentioned you're a physical therapist consultant educator lecturer in the uk really yeah. passionate about treating the complex pain patient Let's start with with that particular patient population. I love when you have people who specialize and niche down in our professions. Why that? Why that particular uh, patient population? What about co complex pain drew you in and made you want to dedicate a lot of your clinical practice to it? Oh, um, gosh, it's funny because you don't get asked that very much. But so, you know, we're, we're physiotherapists. We're largely working with pain anyway. That's I mean most of our populations are, are coming in with a with an experience of pain, and that's not to do a disservice to the neurophysios or the respiratory physios or our, you know uh, long term condition physios. But um, you know when you when you you out in your general practice and you're seeing a lot of pain anyway. So I was always just really interested in like, well, what what is it this thing that we call pain? Like we we talk about it as if we know what it is, but actually do we we don't so I got really interested in that and um I was always really interested in the sort of principled approach to neuro rehab so I was I was probably always really um looking at you know, you know how does this person understand this movement and what motor programs are they using and how is that being affected and and then um, just gradually started seeing higher caseload of people with pain, which resonated because, you know, my mum had chronic back pain when I was a kid. And, um, you know, my dad also had, you know, long term conditions. So it, it was a population that I felt tremendous empathy for and could understand and, you know, felt like it was something that I wanted to dedicate my career to because, you know, I was that little girl sat at home whose mummy couldn't go to the park. You know, and and that's that's important that we know that. So I, f I suppose I just felt like it was a really meaningful and you know satisfying place for me to work, and I felt like I was doing my job as a healthcare clinician. That's what what we signed up for to yeah. to support people. Something behind that. I didn't I didn't know that about your mom, and that 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 makes a lot of sense. I guess you know in one way or another, and and, and no one says that needs to be the only reason that you're drawn to a specific patient population, but. There's typically a reason, and I ask people sometimes, like, you know, what about this? What about this drew you in? And I could ask 100 different physios the same thing. I'll get 100 different answers. But to them, it's really, really important. Um, <laughs> you, you, try to un, you try to solve uh, questions as well. You have, you know, there's a podcast on your website and laurarathbone.com. This one's a little bit different because you're bringing in, <laughs> you're bringing in philosophy with physios. I bring in alcohol, and then you one-up me with, <laughs> philosophy uh yeah. talk about why you started you thought those conversations would be i mean first of all they're philosophers so those guys those women and men can converse for days upon end about anything um but what <laughs> happens when you, when you start mixing philosophy with our profession well um so i guess the you know it all stems from f feeling like i just want to know more about what pain is and that sort of drives you to look to people who say they know what it is. So you go to the people who are doing the research and you're looking for physios and clinicians and mentors. And I was very lucky that one of my mentors, um, who's uh, Professor McThacker, introduced me to philosophy in my master's. And um, I didn't really understand what it was. And I sort of went along with the conversations and I was listening, I'd already been reading some books and trying to understand things like, you know, what is the self from a mindfulness perspective and from a, um, 
from a sort of acceptance and commitment therapy perspective and what is suffering and and you know can we move through that or you know is that what we're trying to do as physios are we trying to treat suffering and you know these kind of questions and then I guess you know he he had a big influence in the fact that he was interested in predictive processing and embodied cognition and phenomenology and you know you start getting in you start going down the rabbit hole and you think oh actually this is actually more than just knowledge this is this is starting to liberate my my sort of truth that I've been given as a physio that that you know pain is a biomedically dominant uh, or is a is a has a monocausal perspective you know it's it's this tissue or it's this joint or it's that that um you know nerve and then you start looking at the world of philosophy and you know philosophy of mind and how they're interweaving neuroscience and the limitations of our neuroscience and and it it starts to free up your thinking and you f- you become more flexible and i guess i just wanted to share that with the world and you know these this is some of the work that is coming out of the collaborations between philosophers and clinicians and neuroscientists and you know um cognitive sciences is is really it's so interesting and so exciting and it really challenges you know what you think it means to be human and that's what we're working with as clinicians we're working with with humans who have a truth about the world and a truth about themselves and who are trying to gather more knowledge and to update their truth so that they can keep thriving. And I think, I think the more we engage in the people who do that for a living, like understanding truth and and trying to figure out, you know, what is this thing called a mind and what is this thing called consciousness and how does that change what we think about people, the more probably the, the more, the more compassionate and the more flexible we become in our approach, which allows us to, you know, move with the person in front of us more fluidly. Yeah. Well, you're talking about person, you're you're giving me a different (laughs) aspect to think about when you say person-centered care, right? Well, obviously there's a person in front of us, right? And I think one of the big themes on Twitter in the last six months amongst physios is this, you know, biopsychosocial model. But you're, when you're saying like person-centered care, when you ask a philosopher to talk about that, you're getting a different view. Like it's it's not very literal. It is quite, it's, it's quite figurative. And they start to get into, well, who is this person? And what, what, is, what are their internal drivers? So it, it, just some interesting conversations. What have you taken uh, from, from podcast episodes with philosophers talking about things as specific as pain, but also as abstract as their belief structure and who, you know, who, who their self is? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess, you know, one of the things that we want to do, and, and it's something that I have started to, you know, to almost like, you know, be part of some bigger conversations and bigger work that's coming out. Not, not by me. I'm not anywhere near, um, like, uh, you know, qualified to be doing that work. But you know, seeing people like, you know, Prof. McThacker talking to another friend of mine, philosopher Julian Kiverstein, who's an embodied cognition phenomenologist uh, uh, philosopher, and their their new paper that's come out with philosopher Michael Kirchhoff, which is thinking about, you know, embodied cognition and predictive processing and pain and how this might be showing up in the, I mean, the thing that you get from, from those kind of pieces of work is, you know, we don't actually have a philosophy of my, a, a philosophy of pain, you know, right. we, as physiotherapists, how much are we engaging with these 
these ideas how much are we aware of our own assumptions you know we use terminology like embodied but do we really know what that means or have we just sort of formulated an assumption that we're just using and what why are we using that without right. knowing what it means what you what is the function of that what's the utility of that and so there's quite a lot of crossover for me in sort of like things like relational frame theory which is the psychology theory that underpins acceptance and commitment therapy so it's a kind of it's a theory of how people make meanings and how actions and behaviors are entailed and and, and sort of intertwined with these mean this this sort of relational meanings that we create about the world around us how we navigate as a self through that um and you know that overlaps quite a lot with you know thinking about you know how do we make those meanings you know how do we understand what we do as clinicians and you know we, we're i think physiotherapy is in a place at the moment where there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of um like polarization there's a lot of like you and me and them and us and you know those types of physios do that stuff and I do this bit and you know there's a you know and I'm part of that and I hold my hand up and say you know I, I am part of that that conversation you know um but maybe maybe philosophy would help us to just soften a little bit and realize that we've still got a lot of building work to do in the foundations of how we unpin what we do as clinicians um, and I think that's that's what I've taken from it is that we're not as sure as we think we are. We probably shouldn't be as sure as we think we should be. Um, we, should, we probably have a lot more questions to ask. And, you know, you look to people like Professor David Nichols and the work he's doing and, and on, you know, trying to understand what what is this thing, physiotherapy, and what is the future of what we do. You know, we've, we've still got a lot of questions to ask about our profession. It's so young and we're sort of you know, we've got various levels of autonomy. We've got different cultural identities that are feeding into this global image of, of physiotherapy or physical therapy. You know, we've still got a lot of questions to ask. I think that's what philosophy really gives us is that freedom to... Forces us to do, forces us to question. Uh, let's not skip over it. Embodied cognition. For <laughs> the clinician out there who's listening, and I purposely didn't look it up because I was like, I need, <laughs> I need to be as uh, as clueless as the next person who doesn't understand it. How do you describe embodied cognition? Oh, so describing embodied cognition is a difficult thing to do, especially because I'm not an expert. So I'm not a philosopher working on embodied cognition. I'm just a clinician that really is interested in pain, and this is one of those things that has come up um, that I think is 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 something that we can gain from as clinicians if we working with pain if we look at this so embodied cognition is a way of you know recognizing that there's not only like pain or conscious experience is not just sort of you know um <laughs> now I say it <laughs> so it's, it's it's a whole person experience we're looking at the first person experience whatever the person says they're having is their their experience of themselves and their world is 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 what it is and this is what I understand um embodied cognition to mean and there's probably lots of people out there who have more knowledge of it who say you know what Laura that's not how I see it fair enough and there's probably people out there who've never heard it and thought oh that's interesting so it's a it's a way of sort of um you know I suppose joining the dots between what's happening in our physiology and what's happening in our conscious experience um, from that first person perspective. So I cannot be an expert on what you feel. I cannot make a judgment on what you feel because I'm not feeling it. Um, 
And so whatever you say you feel is is what you're feeling. I think that you did well there. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't trying to give you I wasn't trying to make you have a, a, a quite little definition, but <laughs> what you understand it as um important because it's going to be a big part in how treatment goes with that person and is what yeah. they're so how do you yeah. bring embodied cognition into your practice if you're working with someone? What's going on in your mind? What's your what is your literal approach? Like how do yeah. how do you question it? How do you get to it? And then what's your what's your figurative approach? What do you do with that information afterwards? Yeah, so I guess if somebody comes in and they've got pain in a particular body region, maybe in the past I might have thought, well, what muscles are there and what's the position and you know what what is the relationship between the you know the angle of the body and the flexibility of it and the strength of it and how might that be feeding and and I might then say that is the cause of pain. Um, and now what I might say is I might still look at some of that information, but I'm not necessarily looking at it as this mono cause of pain. I'm thinking, well, what else is going on in this whole person? So it is a, it is a, a kind of more mature way or evolved way of saying the biopsychosocial model, right. because we're, we're looking at a human being who has a lifetime of experience. They don't just appear in your room with no prior knowledge, right? They've got a lifetime of experiences and memories and habits and rules and all of these things. And their body has learned how to be their body. So their, um, you know, their their systems, for example, their endocrine system, their immune system, the nervous system, their respiratory system, you know, is uh, that's that's all learned over time and and evolved and, and got this constant updated model of how to be the very best complex and dynamic system that that person is um, and so when we see them in clinic we need to be recognizing that you know it's not just um oh well this muscle is doing this therefore that's why you've got pain it's well this this body is in this is is used to doing these kinds of things and how does that reflect in the full the full system and the way that you know they understand themselves in the world and how they what they pay attention to is so much based upon you know what they have found to be beneficial to pay attention to so thinking about you know how have they learned how have they evolved as the person that they are to be here and and, and then sat in my clinic and how can I help this how can I support this person to thrive beyond me Right. Into their life. You said support and not fix or tell or any of those words. It was support. So how do you how do you do this? Do, do you is it as simple as a, a giving someone um, a prompt to tell you their story and then getting out of the way? Or are there you know are there different ways to to get to this point when you're working with someone? Yeah, that's a it's, it's such a loaded question, and it's it's really tempting to give you kind of a a, a very sort of like. Uh, succinct answer right I would love to give you this answer where everyone goes oh that's what she's talking about but the the reality is that it does always look different but you're working from a principled perspective so a principle of behavior change principle of compassion the principle of you know flexible um you know uh flexible care understanding and recognizing and respecting autonomy boundaries you know these are the these are the things that I think we need as skills so that when we go into the session we don't have this kind of script 
shifts or, you know, um, the algorithm approach to assessment, you know, where we have to sort of go, okay, and where's all your body parts and, and uh, on the sin factor, you know, severity, irritability and nature and what's your number, right? Okay. And then you move into your next little box and your next box. And that maybe people aren't doing that anymore. Maybe this is a sign that I'm getting old and we, I, that's how I was taught with right. a kind of assessment form. Um, but actually we're just able to go in there and have a human to human conversation and say, you know, so what's going on and what do you think about it? And what does it feel like? And how do you feel? And, you know, what's important to you and why are you here for treatment? Because, you know, there's loads of people out there with pain that aren't coming into, into clinic. You know, you, you have, you say, how often do you go into clinic for pain? Right. But so something has triggered that person to attend a clinic with pain. It's not, they've got pain and so they've come to see me. It's, they've got a pain that they don't understand and that they don't know how to move through on their own. So whatever they've learned in the past has, has they're still at that place where they don't know how to get through it on their own and they need, they're asking for help. So we wanna try and figure out, well, why, why this pain? Why are you here with this one? And what, what is it that, it's, that, you're, that you're missing because of this so that we can make sure that we can measure success by your values and what's important to you rather than, you know, can you do 160 degrees flexion or whatever, you know, these kind of things. I mean, it's, it's, I think there's, there is so much of that in our profession and that's not, that's not to say that it's wrong because, you know, these things have developed because they've been useful the problem is if we're only doing that and we're always doing that, it's become mm -hmm. inflex it's become inflexible. And it's become more about us us getting these measures, which I'm not saying are unhelpful or wrong, but are they helpful for that person right there in that moment? Are they meaningful to that? But do they even know why we're asking them to, you know, right. hop forwards <laughs> or do a proprioception star? Yeah, exactly. And what are you missing by only paying attention to those things? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we 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 want you know nobody goes into our profession because they they want people to be angry when they leave our clinic or they want people to be unsatisfied you know we go into this profession because we want to help people find a way to have this beautiful relationship with their body and self and their environment and their values you know but then we go to clinical school and it the, the focus so often shifts towards biomechanical goals and biomechanical diagnoses which you know, there's so much controversy over so much of this stuff now. And if we're not engaging in that conversation, as especially as musculoskeletal therapists, then then what are we, are we part of the development of our profession? Or are we just, you know, are we just sitting back and, and getting on with the job? And, 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 you know, so I think, I think that's, that's how, how I feel we should come at this, that, you know, developing obviously developing your knowledge like so you know if you're working with people who present with pain whatever the timeline of their pain is the temporality of their pain like we're still working with pain and so we need to understand the science of that pain we need to be thinking about you know where are we in the this massive landscape of evidence that that spans from you know philosophy to all the way through allied health into medical you know all the different medical professions are working with pain right there's no department in the hospital that isn't right. isn't trying to understand pain nursing you know nursing's got some beautiful research out there on empathy and relationships and self-awareness and reflexivity and you know then going all the way up to the humanities which is also a part of our medical landscape you know so you know people 
trying to figure out how to express the unexpressible like pain and the unshareable experience of pain how do we how do we create a piece that is so moving that somebody who is having a completely different experience from a completely different background can go oh wow that's there i get that and that's what humanities brings us it it brings us the human again and if we're not and that's where we need to be looking at this in pain. And I'm so grateful for the teachers that I've had over my life that have sat me down and, and said that to me and, and, and giving me the skills and the motivation and the interest to look across that landscape because it has, I mean, I don't think I would still be a physio if I hadn't done that. I think I would have probably felt really frustrated and like I just, I wasn't good enough. There's something wrong with me. I just don't know how to do this thing, every, you know, that everybody else seems to be able to do. And yeah, I think I think that's yeah. So, so I probably haven't answered your question really. I've just rattled on <laughs> about what I like. Talk <laughs> physio with alcohol. So, you know, I think you said a lot there. Mm. Uh, and one of those things that you touched on, I wanted to go next, which is multidisciplinary team. Mm. You know, you talked about you know having a podcast where physios meet uh, philosophy. Um, you brought up um, you know nursing and other allied health professions that come into it. Um, Talk to me about the different members of the neighborhood in terms of other healthcare prov providers and how they come into the play, you know, in your practice or in what you've seen. Yeah, so I mean, at the moment, I work as a as a single discipline. You know, it's just me in my in my practice, but that doesn't mean that I don't function as part of a multidisciplinary. So, you know, each patient has their own medical team. Each patient, so so you reach out to their team and say this is what I'm doing over here you know and you you want to know what the psychologist is doing and the GP is doing and the rheumatologist is doing and the pain specialist because you know this person is sat trying to navigate all of that and trying to figure out you know how do I how do I get get through this difficulty using the best of all of these different people they just want the best out of us because they they need it and um so so I would say that and, and I get that this is really difficult for people who are seeing like 14 patients a day. You can't be, it's so, it, the system works against us here. Right. So I'm not in any way saying that every single physio needs to go out and start communicating with all of the healthcare professionals that are involved. But, you know, maybe, maybe we could start taking more steps towards including other allied health uh, professionals. So, you know, if, if somebody is having some treatment with a psychologist, you know, maybe we could reach out to that psychologist and just say, you know, hey, I'm over here. I want to support your work as best I can um, so that we can give this person the best experience of healthcare we can give them. Um, but, you know, even more basic than that, you know, how how I, I get to spend a lot of time with undergraduate clinicians and early career clinicians, which is like I just love working with early career fish clinicians, uh, physios or MSK therapists. But, you know, you, you, one of the things they say is that often is that they don't they feel nervous about asking people about their feelings because they don't want to be like a psychologist. And I'm like, well, do you know, you know, have you been to a psychologist's office and watched what they do? You know, just basic stuff like observation outside of your own professional sort of lane could go a huge way to, you know, having a an, your own map of what the multidisciplinary team means because we need each other. And, you know, we, we can learn so much from each other, like, you know, communication strategies. It's no, 
surprise at all that the biggest educators in communication strategies and therapeutic alliance and compassion are psychologists because that's their specialist job so you know if you've got a psychologist around the corner you've got somebody who's probably really willing to share and you can cross-pollinate as well because we have a lot to teach psychologists too um and we've got a lot to teach each other about our profession and we can support each other and um you know we we get we're stronger together I and, uh, <laughs> you. And I, you know, I remember, I remember the light bulb moment for me, like my background obviously was like a radio broadcaster. So I thought I had nothing to add to my mm-hmm. curriculum and my classmates. And when we got to the subjective examination portent, portion in orthopedics, I remember, you know, our professor was like, okay, who wants to come up and just, I'm the, I'm the professor was going to be the, the, the mock patient, just ask me a bunch of questions. And I watched, you know, my classmates who were all way smarter than me. I'm way younger, just come out of like their undergraduate degrees in biology and kinesiology. And they kind of were like, uh, I don't know, like, where's the sheet? Where do I follow? And I was like, oh, I used to go into interviews and I have like two notes that were hand scribbled on my palm and go hit these two topics. How? I don't know. Just hit them, figure it out. Talk about the person, get them going first. Mm -hmm. So to see that, um, you know, you're talking about psychologists and understanding how to get someone talking because that's when they're going to reveal some things. Some things that maybe they didn't put down on their intake form that maybe they didn't know where, where it went or think it was applicable. And it's total, it's the light bulb moment that makes it go on. So I think those yeah. soft skills, as they call them, which I think is a giant misnomer. No, we have to that. stop that. We yeah. do not use Agreed. that because, you know, like allowing somebody to be vulnerable in front of you. And again, this just comes down to the sort of the patriarchal, like, this kind of paternal idea, if it's soft, it's somehow not as good as if it's hard. Right. Stuff that's hard is like masculine, woo, right. brah, you know, and like stuff that's soft is like, that's the carers. And, you know, that bullshit. Oh, sorry, I'm probably not allowed to swear. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but like, you know, um, and I'm not normally careful, but, I, you know. I like but, it that we're getting somewhere. <laughs> but like, you know, it, you know, allowing somebody else to be vulnerable in front of you. So being able to hold a safe enough space for somebody to say, this is really hard and I don't know how to do it. And there's all this other hard stuff happening and I'm struggling is really, really scary and can be, can be really scary. And, you know, it's a really brave and difficult thing to do. Um, so it's not a soft skill. It's an, it's a necessary therapeutic skill that we have a responsibility as clinicians to develop just as much as biomechanical assessment and you know massage whatever it is that you invest in the most of the time if you have never been on a communication course as a clinician you have not upheld your end of the bargain right i like that i like that a lot i mean it's 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 a rapport building it's a relationship building skill um, you know, I, mean, I studied again. My undergraduate degree was in journalism and communications. We learned about Mine public. Too. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Really? I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So, okay, so I learned um, communications and public relations from a Franciscan friar. That was my professor. Okay. Uh, degrees also death to the term soft skills. I love that. So Franciscan friar standing up in front of my class of freshman, you know, uh, journalism uh, students. And he says, define public relations. And a bunch of kids were trying to be hot shots and raising their hand and giving these like long winded definitions of PR, spin, damage control. Blah, blah, blah. And of course, he's a Franciscan friar, super reserved always the basics. I'm like, I'm not falling for this one. Mm-hmm. And he stopped and he said, I remember the way he looked and he quieted the room and he just went, public relations is building a relationship with the public. Yeah. The answer's in the question. Now, yeah. this term that we're never going to use again, but maybe Chase was saying death to soft skills, um, that you can do public relations, you can build a relationship one-on-one. That's a super important 
um, mm-hmm. skill. And the only way you do that is it can't be one way. It can't be I'm smart and this is what you need to do. That's the mm-hmm. quickest way to shut someone down in advertising or in uh, relationship building with one single in- individual human in front of you. It's got to be two way. And I'll tell you this, if it's this way first, if you're allowing them to communicate first, it's going to go way better. So getting them going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we obviously we have a shared um, undergraduate, you know, my first degree was in journalism, and I worked a lot in radio, that was my preferred yeah. med- medium, hence the yep. podcast, probably. Yeah. And, um, and, and PR I worked a lot in PR as well, consumer facing PR. And, and it, like, as much as like, I look back on that time, and I think it taught me a lot, it taught me a huge amount, but it, it also was a hard slog because it wasn't wasn't in line with my values and my ethics and I found that really difficult yeah but yeah you know know, building a relationship with someone if you 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 can't build a relationship with someone if you're telling them what to do that's not how it works and you know marketing PR advertising they are some of the most advanced areas of you know industry that are understanding cognitive and behavioral science and communication science now that's much to our detriment right because we fall for it quite a lot right but you know if we're working out in healthcare and we are a rehabilitation part of healthcare right so we're not surgeons and we're not a and e you know emergency responders we're out in therapy and the whole point of what we do is taking people from you know something has happened like sickness illness injury and we're going to bring them closer to their life we're going to slowly sort of phase them across back into whatever it is that they were doing before this thing happened you know, so we need behavior. That's behavior. That requires an understanding of behavior change. Now, whether we understand behavior change is another question, probably for a much bigger drink. <laughs> but you know, having an understanding and being part of the conversation doesn't mean that you know the answers. It means that you're thinking flexibly and you know progressively and trying to reach something. You're trying to you're trying to improve. And be part of and be part of the evolution of that. So you know, we're not there with behavior science. When I say we, like, who the fuck am I? I'm not there. I'm not doing it. I'm not the research. Them, those amazing people that are doing this research, you know, they're they're still they they're still not sure. So so we probably need to be going with them on that journey because we're going to need that science, and we do need that science. And and I would say that we don't get enough of that. And I think that's a shame because we don't. We don't realize that our super skill is actually being able to talk to somebody and being able to connect and being able to yeah. say, you know, that thing you want to do, great, we're going to get you there. It might not be perfect and it might not look the way you want it to look and it might not look the way it looked before this thing happened. But if you want to do that, we're going to do our best to get you there and, you know, probably will if we someone, can someone keep that will, in mind. Yeah. Someone will take that message and go, all right, I'll follow that. Instead of you saying, I've got this thing I'm going to do to you and I'm the expert and you just sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll do every, that you're not, there's no relationship built there when you tell someone what to do. Um, About like, you know, courses, I wanted to make sure you got to, to share the courses that you, the the courses and coaching that you get to do. Talked about that again at the website is laurarathbone.com. Yeah. So I guess. First of all, like the the first people I want to talk about are the Pub Scientifique, which is yeah, our our uh, our shared interest of a of a good old fashioned drink and a little bit of Pubs- a little bit of science. Scientifique, <laughs> what what was that a year ago, and then what is that you know before COVID? We'll call it, and then what is it now, and what's the goal? What's what, what's the reason you do this? 
Yeah, so the Pop Scientific started back in 2011 with uh, Tim Beams and Steph Poulton and a couple of their other friends. You know, they were in collaboration with like Mick Thacker and another another physio as well called Danny. And they, they sort of had this idea. And then Tim and Steph really, really developed this forward and, you know, really put so much beautiful energy into it and, you know, you know, it, it was a it was a place for like minded physiotherapists to meet up in a bar and chat about, you know, clinical practice and new ideas in science and new ideas in philosophy. And I used to go when I lived in London, I used to go to their events. And you know, that's how I got to meet them. And they're just just lovely people that are really dedicated to you know, pain care and our profession, really, as well as the allied health professions. So it would be like, you know, once a month, we'd meet in a bar, and uh, they'd, they'd invite a speaker, everybody would have a few drinks. And, you know, you would sort of get to network and communicate and talk to people that, you know, you might not normally be able to talk to in your clinic, because you might feel like you're in a clinic that's very biomedically dogmatic and hasn't quite taken that paradigm shift and so you might feel a bit alone so it was a, a way to feel less alone <laughs> for me anyway that's what it was and then so so then I moved out to Amsterdam and took it with me on with their permission to um and started collaborating with a friend of mine called Bart van Buchem who's a physiotherapist and a, a pain physiotherapist as well and we started doing these little live events and it's you know 15 20 people in a bar just you know having fun with a researcher really and getting to to actually meet them and talk to them and have the the sort of bar side chat which was yeah. just you know what where all the best ideas come from i mean we've, and, we've said it before the the hook the tagline for the show is the best conversations happen at happy hour welcome to ours it's it's mm. when it's the conversation after the conversation it really is. if you go it. to a, a big scientific conference yeah. the person on stage delivers a great talk or whatever and then they say are there any questions some people raise their hand most people don't they say okay thanks everybody claps and then people rush the stage to yeah. questions it was like where yeah. were you but that is really where the magic happens it's it's, very, yeah. it's hard to facilitate that yeah. like to bottle it but it sounds like le pub scientific does that it bottle you know kind of yeah. says all right what are we here for we're here to talk and learn and, and interact great let's do that yeah. And then, you know, then COVID hit. And so we had uh -huh. to rethink what we were doing. And, um, you know, we, we sort of came to a decision as a team. So, you know, we were sort of two different groups and not two different groups. We were the same team, but we were in two different places. And so we decided to to collaborate more closely and, you know, bring bring the pub scientific uh, to what we call homebrew, which is, you know, you're in your home bar now. And we're but you've still got this relationship with the researcher, you know, and 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 it, it's almost like I mean the, the, we we love having our speak. We've got we've got the Dr. Kirsty Bannister next week, who's a neuroscientist um, out of King's College, looking at you know supraspinal mechanisms of inhibition and you know conditioned pain modulation. Is that something that we can we can, we can understand? And you know and uh, it, these kind of things. It's, it's just you know getting to, getting to talk to those people and ask them about their ideas and motivations and inspirations and directions and what do they think we should be doing you know you just don't get that at a conference and, and nor can nor can most clinicians even afford it right, right. so you know, not everybody's got funding to go to a great conference that's like two grand and in a different part of the world and you know so so it's just an opportunity to bring like the people who are really at the forefront of discovering you know new targets for pain care new understanding modeling approaches that will help us on the shop floor you know if we take the help if we invest and put the time in to learning and evolving with the science it will help us you had and, me uh, 
you had me at the pub to be honest yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know it's nice to be so informal so that's that's one thing that I do and you know the pub scene speak is is just it's a lovely team to be part of and we're all clinicians the thing that drives us is what is pain how do I understand it more how do I help people more and and so which researcher which scientist which philosopher is doing that at the moment and so that's great to be a part of and I'm really uh, yeah dead enthusiastic about it yeah. um but I also do a few other things. So um, sometimes I lecture in universities, which I like to do. And um, sometimes I work with multidisciplinary teams and, and monodisciplinary teams that sort of recognizing they need a, a sort of knowledge shift and a skill shift. Um, and they want to find out how to do that. So I go in and observe and try to sort of talk to a few people on the ground and do a round table and figure out well, what is it that you as a team need? Um, because, you know, pain we do this thing in pain don't we where we say you know it's all about person-centered care and flexible and all that and then we teach it as a curriculum to everybody and everybody gets the same thing but you know different teams have different different missions visions different ideas they've got different knowledge bases different different groups um you know and and diff they're working with different patients who have you know as a hot as a whole there are themes into what they the, what they need and what they want so it's nice to be able to do that in a in a close way and be part of those conversations. So that's something else that I, I enjoy. Um, but in terms of I uh, course offering, so I also teach. Yeah, so it's called Act in the Clinic. It's a kind of we use acceptance and commitment therapy as a model and a framework to develop our skills as clinicians in behavior change and understanding people and understanding ourselves and you know. We, ACT is, is, a, is not a, a treatment for pain, right? So if you go out and you learn, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy or the hexaflex or you go and learn the metaphors and you learn a few exercises, great, but it's not it's not necessarily a treatment for pain. But what it is is it's a, a framework that is robust and flexible, which means that there's lots of options and there's lots of different ways of doing it. And, um, and it can help us, you know, on a personal level, recognize when we're getting distressed, when we're getting overworked at man and manage our work-based stress, um, of which there is lots in physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, support and recognize when somebody else is dealing with those things and, you know, find ways to, you know, help somebody observe that in themselves so that they can start to come up with, you know, solutions and actions and steps that make sense to them. Um, and and so it's it's a it's a, a four week course that's completely process and dialogue based. So there's no curriculum. So there's a kind of these are the things I want us to explore. And then we meet each other on the first day and get to know each other and find out your experiences and what you're interested in. We talk about relational frame theory, the underpinning psychology theory, a bit about pragmatism and functional contextualism, which are the philosophies that are associated with that. And about, you know, phenomenology and embodied cognition, trying to bring up this flexibility in how we see what it is, you know, humans and what it is to be human. And then, you know, we start making agreements about what we're going to what we're going to cover over the next few weeks and we put it together. And that's what Act in the Clinic is. <laughs> okay. uh, find out more at laurarathbone.com. Uh, Laura, are you ready to do three questions? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> take, take a sip. We'll do three questions. All right. Three questions brought to you by our friends from uh, Fusion Medical Staffing. Uh, if you're a physical therapist, if you're a physio, you want to do what you want to do, uh, where you want to do it. So uh, three questions from FusionMedStaff.com, hashtag travel PT. 
Um, you want to live at the beach and be a physio? You can do that. You want to live in the mountains? Why can't you do that? You can't. You can completely do that. Wherever there are people, uh, that's where they need physio. So uh, first question, Laura. Uh, I know you visited New York a couple of years ago, but if you could go anywhere in the 50 U.S. states, where is somewhere you wouldn't mind taking a short trip once everything is safe? Um... So I would like to visit San Francisco at yeah. some point. Um, I have never been there and I heard the coffee is pretty good and yeah. the vibe is pretty cool. So I would like to go and see San Francisco. Yeah, you got to go to Hate Nashbury in uh, in San Francisco. It's great. And where there are people and like in San Francisco, there are uh, the need for physio. So again, fusionmedstaff.com. Our second question is a what question. What is something you've watched, read or listened to? A book, a movie, a podcast, physio or non-physio, it doesn't matter, that you think the audience would give value from Oh, I mean, without a doubt, like I um, recommend. I so the book "Aches and Pains" by Louis Gifford is a is a is a is a game changer in terms of physiotherapy and opening your eyes up to different approaches. It's not the truth, um, but it's something that a very very wonderful clinician wrote who had huge knowledge and can help our profession prof prof profoundly. Um, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But um, yeah, Louis Gifford's "Aches and Pains." Love Go it. and read it. <laughs> times before for uh for people on three questions and the final question is uh, a who question who is someone the audience should know more about oh um who is somebody the audience should know more about so in terms of our role and our profession i think you should definitely uh, be always looking to the pain ambassadors so people like Gillette belton keith meldrum cat glore um you know uh, louise traverne in the uk and you know really thinking about you know, the people who have a lived experience of pain who can give us so much wonderful and useful information and help uh, help us to do our job better with the people that we work with. So, yeah. Well, sir, that's uh, three questions. You're off the hot seat. You can take a breath. Uh, from our friend <laughs> at .com. Laura, the, uh, the last thing we do is uh, is the parting shot. Are you ready for the parting shot? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Parting shot brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. If you're looking to level up your orthopedic game, uh, a lot of uh, ISCs, that's fancy talk for independent study courses. I know the uh, specialty examinations were just happening this last week across the, uh, the U.S. If you're ever thinking about, if you're toying with the idea of that OCS, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy, that's a roadmap. Right. Go from from wherever you are in your PT career. You want to be more confident, more competent. C current concepts of orthopedic PT is the way to get there. Orthopt.org. It is made by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. All right. Parting shot, Laura. No pressure, but this is your chance for like a mic drop moment. What's <laughs> the thing, the sentiment, the idea, the the uh, the phrase, whatever that you'd want to leave with the audience as we wrap up today? Oh, always believe the person in front of you. Without a doubt. The the person in pain always yeah, believes. Well said. Yeah. 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 Well said. Uh, website again is uh, laurarathbone.com. Um, you can find and connect with her uh, there. Laura, appreciate uh, you coming on here and mixing it. I think, I think biopsychosocial is said a lot, but you're mixing and listen to that podcast as well as Laura's website. Um, you're mixing in this philosophy because when we're talking about a person, then the philosophers will say, well, what is a person, right? They, mm -hmm. Those philosophers always annoying because they always keep asking us more questions. You ask them a question, they ask you two questions back. But the goal <laughs> is to 
get a deeper understanding. So you're doing that mixing physio with philosophy uh, at that website as well. So uh, thank and that, you. And just to say, I'm not the only physio doing that. Please, like, there are other physiotherapists doing this, especially uh, just a shout out to Matt Lowe, who is a physiotherapist in the UK, who teaches me a lot all the time. He's brilliant physio. Please listen to him as well. Excellent. And then also follow Le Pub Scientifique on uh, on Twitter and just kind of jump in on that that conversation as well. Laura, I want to appreciate you stopping by. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.